Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to The Business of You. If you're in the process of growing and scaling your company, then today's episode of The Business of You is for you. My guest today is Maxim Wheatley. Maxim is an entrepreneur and startup executive who has scaled companies from 5 to 50 employees. He's also had several successful exits of his own companies. Maxim today finds himself as a head of product and marketing at a company called Merico, which produces the next generation of code contribution and analytics systems. Maxim is a very engaging guest. He's also been involved in producing a documentary for Amazon called Startup Land, and he is a wealth of information in cybersecurity and also cryptocurrency. Enjoy today's episode of The Business of You as we welcome Maxim Wheatley. Good morning. Today I have with me Maxime Wheatley. Maxime, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to dive into your story. Just in our little pre-chat, I um, have realized that what you have done in your youthful years is probably what somebody um, by the age of 70 accomplishes or dabbles in. So, um, like I said, excited to dive in. So, would love to hear your backstory. Currently, you're an employee at a company, but you have co-founded and sold a company. You have um, started your career path thinking you were going to go down a very different path. So if you could start um, right around that time period where you were in college and the path you were planning to go down, that would be great. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, uh, I went into college fairly hell-bent on becoming a physician. Um, after doing some volunteer work in an emergency room, I really had a strong feeling that it was what what I wanted to do for a variety of reasons. I think it scratched a lot of itches for me in terms of, you know, really legitimately helping people, you know, high pressure, intellectual, intense. Um, I, I really fell in love with it. Um, so I went to Georgetown University and I studied cognitive science and psychology. Um, I was also doing research there um, in one of the neuroscience labs focused on ADHD and autism and kind of understanding some of the underpinnings of that. Um, and as I was getting closer to kind of the, you know, the key decision point, right, of do I do I really go all in on this or do I not? I am um, like many of my classmates, in fact, and I do think it's one of the kind of under discussed ugly parts of, you know, pre-med and and the medical uh, education trajectory in general, you know, really started to take a look at, you know, how how big are these student loans going to be, and how long is it going to be until I'm really making money to start paying those paying those off, 
you know, how old am I going to be when I'm really in the workforce? What's my life going to look like? And it was that reflection that made me realize, you know, I was at Georgetown in part under some scholarships, um, some financial aid, some scholarships relating to my research. Um, and I was really quite, you know, focused on trying to figure out how to not put myself into really, you know, high amounts of debt. So I was, I was really fortunate where earlier in my life, you know, I had had some early touch points with entrepreneurship. You know, I think like many kids, right? A little bit of babysitting here and there, a bit of dog walking, um, really where it started to become more significant. You know, I was lucky enough to grow up on a small lake, grew up sailing. Um, one day, you know, some children's mother asked me if I'd teach her kids to sail for an hour and gave me a hundred dollar bill. And it was my first encounter to go, oh, I could actually make pretty good money here doing something I love doing and was going to do anyway. So I started up this little sailing school. And I think in the back of my mind, it was those kinds of experiences that gave me this comfort level to say, you know what, I'm happy to happy to abandon this pathway, um, despite how much I've invested in it, how much I've worked on it, you know, to go to med school and instead jumped into the startup world. Um, and I'm really happy I did because it ended up becoming a, a really exciting and fulfilling journey. Um, so during, I, I believe it was the, the summer of my junior year of, uh, of, of Georgetown, I, I got kind of neck deep in the Washington DC startup ecosystem. And I was lucky enough to meet, you know, a founder who I really connected with and really kind of forced myself into the equation, you know, as a volunteer, I was like, Hey, I like what you're doing and showed up at their office and said, you know, Hey, let's, uh, how can I help? And that ended up dovetailing into um, me kind of getting this honorific title, you know, of marketing director for this very little startup. Um, it was a TikTink um, technology company called Tixelated. And um, I was kind of skipping classes every now and then to go and work with these guys. Um, this culminated in the head of entrepreneurship at Georgetown, Jeff Reed, um, who continues to be a friend and mentor of mine. Um, he asked me to be the student keynote speaker at the Entrepreneurship Day that year. And I think in hindsight, that really kind of cemented my decision to dive into this path where um, it put me in front of this audience where I ended up connecting with who would become my kind of first boss and my first job out of college working in venture capital. Um, him and I collaborated. We, we produced a documentary on startups and entrepreneurship um, built around the accelerator program that we were running. Um, him and I ended up going on then to, to co-found a company together in the consumer electronics space, building a clever kind of connected wellness device that I can talk about um, that we ended up selling a controlling interest in to Keurig Dr. Pepper, the, the big beverage conglomerate. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think um, plenty of exciting adventures in entrepreneurship and startups. And, you know, if I really kind of trace it all the way back, I think it's it's just a series of high conviction decisions, um, you know, and showing up authentically and sincerely to, to go and build. And I think that's also what brings me to my role today, um, you know, as a, as a senior member of the leadership team for a, another growing tech startup where I joined as employee number five. Um, we've grown it to about a hundred today. Um, and my role leads, you know, business marketing and sales and as many early employees, right. Touches upon all kinds of parts of the business. Um, and in that, you know, my experience as an operator, 
um, and as a founder, you know, really comes to comes to play. So, yeah, my my whole life has really kind of revolved around taking these risks, um, doing so with a lot of conviction, and you know, just doing my best. And thus far, it's thankfully worked out quite nicely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How old were you when you started Life Fuels? So I think I would have been 24, if I recall correctly, um, plus or minus, you know, one year, 24, um, you know, and it's an interesting age to do that kind of thing. Um, and I'll explain why, um, you know, I think as, as I'm sure you see all the time, there's, there's always this kind of breathless media coverage of young founders. Um, and I think that really kind of, in some cases, boxes out you know, older founders, despite them being more capable, um, you know, and I think I was to a certain extent, a victim of that narrative where, you know, I was like, if I'm not doing it now, when am I going to do it? Um, don't get me wrong. I'm really glad I did, but I did it at such a young, naive age. And I think there's, um, there's benefits and there's downsides to that, right? Um, I think the benefits, you know, I was so kind of so brave, you know, so naive that, there was no part of it that was scary to me. And I think that's such a huge advantage, right? Where I'm certainly as we built this thing, um, the, the fears, you know, and the scary moments come up, of course they do. Um, but as we dove in and as we kept going, there was just never any sense for me of like, what happens if we fail, you know, am I making a good decision or bad decision? It was just, let's, let's go do this. It's fun. It's exciting. It's an adventure. Um, it's certainly that affects me now, right? As I think about um, inevitably starting the next big company and I surely have aspirations to start, you know, a billion dollar company. It's, it's a monkey that will be on my back until I've addressed it. Um, but certainly what holds me back, right, is in knowing what I'm up against. Um, that naivety is gone. And while I'm surely a much better entrepreneur now, far more experienced, knowledgeable, balanced, um, in really all measures, that little advantage of naivety is uh, is very underrated. Um, so. the, um, like the saying, ignorance is bliss, right? I mean, it, yes. it definitely rings true, I think, as a startup founder. When you sold the company, was the, um, the value enough for you to have retired and not done something else? Or did you feel from like a financial perspective that you needed to keep working as well? Yeah. So, um, so, so unfortunately, um, not, not enough to, to get to that level. Um, you know, um, th- though it was certainly, uh, you know, at the time, especially at the age, right. Felt like, um, felt like a ton of money, um, and lots of lessons learned there too. Right. Um, had a great time spending some of that <laughs> as, as people do. Um, but yeah, you know, I think um, I, I would actually frame frame that experience in a different way too, where it was it was actually empowering in hindsight to think about that math and think about the multiples of how do we get there, right? Where um, you know, I think it's um, I think it's probably publicly accessible information that the paper value of the company. Um, you know, was, was in the hundred million range. Um, Keurig Dr. Pepper is a publicly traded company. So that paper value is, um, is recognized somewhere in their documents. Um, 
you know, I like, like many companies, right. There's debts, there's investors, there's other stockholders. So, you know, the, the proceeds end up going all over the place and not just to the founders. But I think what was most exciting for me and really analyzing that was realizing, well, okay, we've, we built something here that at least according to this buyer and on paper and based on the mechanics of the deal is worth this amount of money. And do I think that in the future I could do 10 or even a hundred times better um, in terms of bigger, better idea, better execution, you know, stronger team, all of these factors, right? And without sounding arrogant, the quest, you know, when I thought about that question, the answer to me was like, yeah, for sure. I think when the idea is right, you know, and when the team is right, all of these things, right? Um, I feel confident I can do far, far better. Um, so it gave me this kind of grounded confidence ultimately that that these kind of grand aspirations that I have are surely not going to be easy, but are perfectly achievable, you know, if uh, if I really set myself up to succeed there. So it was a, it was a very empowering realization to kind of think through it that way. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a little earlier that you have the drive to build the billion dollar company. What what is that drive coming from? Is it the dollar amount? Is there something around the ability to scale to that level? Um, what what for you is that intrinsic uh, push that's coming up to where that is the dollar amount you've kind of put in the in the radar? Yeah, I think it's a few things. Um, certainly, I care a lot about doing good in the world. You know, I've always found a way to have volunteering and charity be a part of my life. Um, and I think that's surely one great way to to really move the needle on that. Um, you know, I think um, beyond that, you know, I think it's this idea, right, of trying to build something that's that's lasting, you know, that kind of leaves your footprint um, and that that kind of has a positive impact on the lives of far more people um, in terms of your employees, in terms of your customers. Um, and I think once you realize that what might be possible, right, um, it kind of becomes inevitable to say, well, why not build that as big as you can? Um, why not have the largest possible impact? Um, you know, and I think for me, I've always been very excited about developing technologies. Um, you know, I have aspirations um, that potentially make the next company in the medical, you know, medical device space. Um, so I think to to do anything like that and do it really, really well, um, you kind of have to think on very large scales. You know, you need to be thinking about, you know, what does a fifty million dollar, you know, research and development cycle look like. Um, and how do we put something out there that's going to, you know, positively impact hundreds of millions of people? Um, so yeah, I think uh, it, it's a it's a cocktail of all those factors. Um, but I would say, um, you know, it certainly doesn't doesn't come from a place of wanting to achieve a particular threshold of wealth in life. You know, I think I'm like anybody, right? Um, I, I have plenty of things I would love to do that money can buy, but, um, and getting there would be surely fantastic, but it's, it's certainly not the core driver. Um, I think it boils down to, to, to impact, to, to legacy. Um, 
you know, to met, you know, really kind of amplifying the good that you can do for the people that are part of that journey, as well as the, the people that you can positively impact with the proceeds of that success. Mm-hmm. Definitely. How does it feel to be an employee at this stage of your life, having accomplished what you have versus being a co-founder? So really good question. Um, and I, I've been asked that by a few other founders before, um, as they, you know, whether they've, you know, had a kind of um, successful, you know, outcome for their company, or if they've, you know, had a failed outcome. Um, that's always the bizarre kind of feeling, right? Of you, you're, you've been a founder. Do you go be a founder again? Or do you find joy and comfort in being, being a member of someone else's pirate ship? Um, so I would say it really, for me, boils down to just the pros and cons of it, right? Where um, having been a founder with employees, I certainly know what that kind of stress feels like when you maybe are not going to be able to make payroll in the near future or, you know, people's lives depend on you and you have to show up with your game face on it every second, um, whether it's with investors or partners or whatever, right? Um, there, there's there's not much reprieve from that stress and pressure. Um, and in my current role, you know, I'm um, I'm arguably the senior most employee in the company I work for um, at about 100 people now. Um, thankfully, I'm not very exposed to many of those stressors, right? Um, I certainly take a lot of sense of pride and ownership in the company's success, but I don't have to be worrying about, you know, not having to worry about payroll. I'm not having to worry about, you know, tough emails or, you know, challenging questions from investors. You know, I, there's a lot of things that I no longer have to worry about by being, you know, in this role that I am. Um, that's a really nice break from it. So it gives me this opportunity to flex all of those, you know, founder muscles and to, to keep them active and to, expand my own capabilities and experiences um, all without the stress. So so for me it's a great um, it's a great opportunity to be able to stay strong and get stronger um, with few of the kind of you know bad parts of that life. So you know I would uh, I would certainly encourage founders if they've you know had a successful exit or a, you know or a kind of um, or they've crashed crashed into the mountain and are looking for what's next, right? I think um, either way, you know, I think it's very worth considering um, jumping back in, you know, seeing it from a different perspective and learning in someone else's uh, endeavor, waiting until the time is right for you, whether it's the right idea, the right people, the right market, you know, um, making sure that you're not uh, just diving back in just to dive back in. Yeah. Yeah. It must feel liberating to some extent because I, I know as a, a founder myself, it feels like the work just never gets done. There's always something to do or something to improve upon if it's already being done. And being an employee, not not especially you because you have a senior role there and, the, and there is a lot writing, especially in a sales and marketing role, right? Like it's really the growth engine of a company. Um, but it must feel fairly liberating to not have the weight of the entire company on your shoulders. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Maxim, I find it fascinating that you have done so many things in your career that are really, a, you know, an MBA would probably be the most natural um, academic background. You know, you've 
run an incubator, you've built your own company and, and sold it, you've done some mergers and acquisitions at other companies, you've worked in the crypto world, right? Um, working with companies to help them grow, and now you're in a sales and marketing role. So where do you go to to um, like kind of dive into your intellectual well to, to figure out what moves to make next and the various roles you've had? I think I would attribute a lot of a lot of my successes right to um showing up authentically with great mentors. Um, you know, I can point to a handful of great individuals that I've been lucky enough to have in my life um, who have helped me to answer the tough questions that I don't have the experience to address. Um, who've helped keep me feeling grounded and comfortable and confident when things get tough. Um, so I think that's certainly something that I recommend to everyone, right? As I'm finding finding those people, um, creating your kind of personal advisory board um, goes a tremendously, tremendously long way. Um, you know, one uh, I, I could name so many people, um, but but one in particular, you know, this uh, entrepreneur, uh, his name is Brian Leggett. Um, you know, was someone who had done consumer products and was truly, you know, I would attribute a vast majority of my own capability and success in um, co-founding a consumer products company uh, to his mentorship. So, you know, I think um, I think having the kind of humility to embrace that goes a tremendously long way. I think outside of that, you know, maybe it's my science background that makes all of these things feel addressable and manageable to me because I would boil down great science, right. To being good question, you know, good question asking and finding coherent ways to structure the validation of that question um, in the form of experiments. Right. And I think um, all of, all of these things really boil down to exactly that. Um, so I, so I think I, invest a good deal of my own mental energy into figuring out what questions should I be asking myself for the process or the people or the task at hand? Um, and how am I going to figure out whether I'm right or wrong? Um, and, and finding ways to kind of create microstructure, you know, along the way to, to get those things done. Um, I think that's ultimately kind of how I address all of these things that are fairly disparate. Um, you know, and I think beyond that, you know, I'm someone that's always enjoyed learning as much as I can. Um, I'm certainly someone who's liable to go on like a four hour, you know, deep dive into Wikipedia on something, um, you know, and I think it's that curiosity and, um, you know, willingness to always, you know, figure out, you know, if I don't understand something, what's, what's going on here? Like, what's the, what's the background? What's the history? Um, so I, I think it's it's all those things that have, you know, at least from my perspective, made it relatively easy um, and successful to jump between different industries, different types of roles. Um, you know, I've just always pursued what's interesting and exciting, you know, what's uh, what's taking good care of me. And, and that puts me at the intersection of all those things with kind and smart people. Um, and I think, you know, if I can check all those boxes, I'm, I'm a happy camper. Mm -hmm. 
What aspects of your personality, or I also like to call it your personal brand, do you think have hindered um, any advancement in your in your work as a, when you were the leader? Yeah, I like that question, and I've thought about it a lot. Um, I think what the, the key limitation for me, especially when I was a co-founder, was um, the the insecurity that comes with that age, um, where I was absolutely terrified to be kind of um, upstaged uh, by someone else, right? Um, you know, whether it's someone who's a superior designer or engineer or whatever it is, right? Um, so scared of that. Um, and I think many people are, and, and pray many people stay that way for their whole lives. And I, um, I look back upon that as, you know, a big thing that I was able to figure out for myself and learn how to get over um, and now see it quite differently where I see it as like a key success measure where I'm like, if I'm not surrounded by people that can absolutely destroy me in whatever it is that they're focusing on, then, then I'm not doing this correctly. Right. Like if you, you're building a marketing team, you want someone who's just way better at you than whatever it is that they're focused on. Um, and if you're the best, then you've got to really kind of reanalyze why. Um, so I'd say that was kind of one of my number one um, kind of limiting personality aspects. You know, and I think the other piece of it that I've talked to a lot of founders about is um, understanding how to navigate and communicate conflict. Um, you know, I'm someone who has, you know, especially, you know, being British, right, I'm, I'm someone who... Um, tends to err on the side of being polite and, you know, not necessarily speaking up if I'm upset about something. Um, and what I found in my founder journey, right, is um, I, I had a co-founder who was wired very differently um, and could often be, you know, kind of pushy and brash. And I would attribute a lot of our success to him being pushy and brash, right? You need that kind of person. Um, but the, the cost of that was that sometimes I felt like I was getting my toes trod on. Um, and I always considered it best to not speak up and to, you know, not, not pick any fights over it. But what I found in hindsight was, you know, the, the compounding effect of staying quiet in those moments can be substantial. Um, so I think, you know, those were my two kind of big kind of life upgrades and personality upgrades that I took from that journey is, you know, learning how to, not just be comfortable with people being better than you, but seeking it out and embracing it and then finding ways to, you know, address, address conflict in a kind of more real time way. And in a kind of, a, you know, more, uh, more kind of transparent ways so that you don't let those things compound and create rifts between, you know, you and the people around you, or, you know, have things that sit and fester and stress you out. Um, so, so yeah, the, those are my kind of two biggest reflections from my, my experience there. Mm -hmm. I can tell you've thought a lot about it. How are you evaluating the, um, essentially your next move? Like, what are some of the questions you start to ask yourself when thinking about what type of company do I start or, um, you know, maybe it's the next move in this role. 
in terms of the sales and marketing that you're doing to grow and scale the company? What is some of the, the dialogue that goes on in your mind? I think a very big part of it is asking myself if this feels like something that I'm going to be genuinely excited to give my best at for years and years in a row. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that are really exciting, you know, in kind of flashes, right, to do like a hackathon or the idea of helping someone else do it for a couple of months. But, you know, I think that's obviously one of the most critical parts is feeling like it's something you can really commit to and something that is going to ignite you in some way sufficiently that it's going to bring the best out for you. Um, so I think that's that's certainly a really big piece for me is, is you know, and I think to hit that particular threshold for me, you know, it has to feel like it's um, meaningfully inventive um, and innovative. It has to feel like it's going to have a truly positive impact on the people that touch it um, beyond just like the classic Silicon Valley BS, right? Of, you know, like, a, you know, we're making the world a better place through, you know, middle out encryption, <laughs> you know, the joke that a lot of people make, but um you know, I want to I want to hopefully find a way to make the world a better place by really improving the the quality of life of of people that touch whatever it is that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially given your your background, uh, your your early early background in your college days. One last question, because I think a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs and founders struggle with this, which is. How do you, in the product world, assess that product market fit before going too far down the path of creating that? Yeah, it's a really tricky one. Um, and I feel like to a certain extent, I've never really done a great job with it. <laughs> so, you know, I think um, one of the things I would say that we surely screwed up on quite a bit with um, with Life Fuels, at least on our early iterations, was that we were so obsessed with being secretive that we gave ourselves no opportunities to let people react to it or to let the market respond to it. Um, you know, and, and it's advice many people hear, but few people accept, right? Is that no one really cares um, about what you're building by and large. Um, and the feedback you're going to get is light years more valuable um, and more significant than any risk you take by exposing the idea. You know, I think um, how I think about it now, um, you know, I think it's it, it's trying to get in front of all the possible stakeholders as early as you can. Um, and how I would define that, of course, depends on what kind of thing we're talking about. But I guess um, to frame it around my current role, right, um, developing um, kind of high tech um, software for large enterprises, you know, I think um it boils down to figuring out how to have, you know, candid and honest conversations with all of the people that are going to touch that product. So in our case, that would be, you know, VPs of engineering, CTOs, frontline engineers, getting them to give you insights on, you know, what are the things that are most upsetting and frustrating to you on a day-to-day basis? Like what slows you down? Um, What do you feel is getting in the way of your success personally or professionally? Um, asking these kinds of like really big questions, right? helps you really sniff out the use cases. It helps you figure out um, not just where the pain points are, but how they're perceiving those pain points, Simon. 
how they're mapping them to their own kind of personal lives. Um, you know, cause maybe, maybe they're frustrated about how, uh, consistently, you know, their software is delivered, but perhaps the root cause of that frustration isn't so much about wanting to build great products, but it's that they're, they're frustrated with how much reporting it generates for them. So if you can kind of map out that kind of relationship, right. And go, okay, we can solve that problem. But if we want to make it exciting to them, we also need to map it to the kind of personal frustration. Um, so we need to solve both of those things. Um, so, so I think it is just a willingness to listen. It's a willingness to ask good questions. Um, and it's a comfort being really iterative with it, you know, kind of going out and saying, okay, here's draft number two. What do you think? You know, is it good or bad? And if so, why so? And if not, why not? Um, so, so I, I think a lot about it a lot in those terms. Um, and I think um, you can do all kinds of clever things, but I think there's just no getting around the value of um, those kind of direct conversations. And the the one thing I would layer on top of that is, you know, I think you also have to be cautious about taking kind of um, focus groups of one, right, and treating it as gospel, where um, every now and then you're going to find some absolute gem from someone um, and it will surely become valuable. Um, but I think by and large, you know, only really react to it and pay attention to it if you've heard it a handful of times. You know, if you get a couple of dots on the curve, then it's something to maybe really consider heavily. Um, but if you've heard it once um, or maybe twice, you know, it's probably worth following up on, but don't necessarily let it, you know, whiplash you into making a decision too quickly. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many things too, and <clears throat> design of all kinds, whether it's product design or visual design, where uh, it's subjective, right? I mean, different people are going to react in different ways and it's going to trigger different things for them. So I think that's, that's brilliant advice. What's, what's next on your horizon? You're in the sales and marketing role. Um, it sounds like you plan to start something new at some point in your career, but, but what else is next in the world of Maxim? Yeah. So, um, so certainly I'm enjoying my role thoroughly right now, you know, building this company, um, take a tremendous amount of pride in, you know, being able to, it, and it's one of those things, right. Where you don't see it happening in real time. You suddenly kind of look up and you're like, Oh, we're nearly a hundred people now. Um, to me, that's just so exciting. Um, and something I'm really proud of and, and hope to continue pushing forward. Um, so certainly that's, that's the existing plan. Um, no question whether it's six months from now or three years from now, you know, I'll be starting another company. Um, you know, I think um, as a random aside, you know, I think one thing that's um, coming up on my to-do list, you know, I reflected a lot on what I most enjoyed doing and what I was most proud of in my, my twenties and um doing, um, producing that, that documentary and documentary series was way up there. Um, so, you know, being here in Los Angeles, it's on my to-do list to find a way to go and, um, you know, be a part of producing another film. Um, so, you know, as a kind of beefy hobby, we'll see, um, see if I can bring that to fruition as well. But, but yeah, um, that's, uh, that's kind of what's on my, on my horizon right now. You've been bitten by the Hollywood bug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And um, you mentioned to me earlier that the documentary is called Startup Land and it is available on Amazon and um, highly recommend people watch that. I know I, I plan to dive in. What's the best place for people to learn more about you or um, get in touch with you? Yeah, I um, I always love chanting with interesting people um, and do my best to be available for conversations. Um, easiest way to find me is just my first and last name um, on really all platforms. I'm most kind of uh, proactive on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, so you can find me, Maxim Wheatley, on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, certainly people can reach out to me there. And if they want to email me directly, my um, my company email is just maxim at merico.dev. That's M-A-X-I-M at M-E-R ico.dev um just shoot me an email there and um i'm a busy person but i'm uh i'll always do my best to find time to connect with with interesting authentic people awesome thanks so much for being on today maxim thanks for having me i hope you enjoyed this episode of the business of you If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to the Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.